Hello and welcome to Not If I Reboot You First, a podcast where we take our favorite properties and reboot them before Hollywood has a chance to. It's a little bit like brainstorming fanfiction. I'm Lindsay and I use she, her pronouns. I'm Tanner and I use they, them pronouns. And with us is a special guest, actually a returning special guest. She's an arbiter of OCs, the maestro of the Mompocalypse, and she keeps the faith. It's Christina. Hi, I use she, her pronouns. Uh, Christina is not quite our second guest, because I know Ryan had to be an emergency guest at one point, but she's the second guest, like, bringing her own fun stuff to the show. Thank you. Uh, with a hint that I have not been able to decode. Oh, I'm actually surprised by that. (laughs) Have you managed to decode it, Lindsay? I kind of forgot about it, sorry. Uh, It was something about a dog's travel expenses. I I actually think the one that... The one that the listeners would have heard on the previous episode was, yes, there can be dogs on the moon. Oh. Oh, wait. Because you messaged me and you said, like, hey, is this still what you want to use? And I was like, actually, no, I have a better one. Right. That is right. (laughs) Wait, is this this Taz Balance? Absolutely not. (laughs) Is not Taz Balance coming this fall to the CW? Oh, God, no. Oh, God, no. No, do not speak that into the universe, Tanner. It would be rife with terrible casting. <laughs> would it be uh, something about a Belgian intrepid reporter? In fact, it is. Yes. We are here to talk about Tintin. Oh, my uh... God. <laughs> this is Sorry, just a belated Tanner. birthday gift for Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> my childhood. I used to wake my up. My childhood, too. Yeah. Used to wake up very early in the morning because dad also woke up very early in the morning. And it was Mm -hmm. like the first thing on after Care Bears and Babar. And then it was the news. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, See, like my personal experience is I've actually never seen the like Tintin has been a comic book, a TV show, and at least one movie. I think there were, I mentioned there were probably several movies, but there was one movie that came out probably eight or nine years ago. Uh, it was animated and it had, I think Jamie Bell was the voice of Tintin. Yeah. Uh, it was, it, I, I enjoyed it a lot. I actually own a copy of that movie on DVD, but my main experience was with the collected books of the comics. Um, it just occurred to me that we probably should maybe uh, introduce Tintin a bit to People like maybe Tanner who are not as familiar with Tintin as we are. Here's everything I know about Tintin. Don't go to the Congo. Don't fucking go to the Congo. Please, God. Yeah. 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 I, we, we are going to talk about that. Yeah. God damn it, Belgium. Why do you have to fuck up Central Africa? Also that one meme where like he knows one of the days of the week. I can't even remember which one it is. Me either. So, do you want to start, or do you want me to start? I do have the Wikipedia article for uh, Herge up on my phone. Uh, I got the Wikipedia article for Tintin up on my laptop. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. I guess we could... We got this double teamed. Yeah. So, we could probably start off with uh, Herge himself, and then, and then okay. all that, because he's a fairly interesting character himself. Yeah. So Hergé is in fact not his actual legal given name, as is so often the case with a lot of artists and cartoonists. Uh, he was born uh, Georges Prosper Remy. Uh, he is Belgian, uh, or I guess was Belgian, uh, by birth and presumably also by descent. 
Uh, he was born in 1907, died 1983. Uh, most of his art was done, especially in, let's just say, like, like the 1920s through probably about the 1960s, 70s, um, which meant that Tintin, in some ways, is very much so a product of its times. We will discuss those. Yes. I would like to take this opportunity to note that his second spouse, uh, her name was Fanny Rodwell, <laughs> which delighted me. Pleased to meet your acquaintance, Mr. Bond. I'm Fanny Rodwell. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's exactly it, Tanner. That's the vibe. <laughs> um, yeah, she was born Fanny Vlamink. I'm... <sighs> okay, the thing about Belgium is that it's made up of three major linguistic groups. Yep. The Wallonian French, the Flemish Dutch, and for whatever fucking reason, Germans. Yeah. And Dutch is a weird-ass Germanic language. It really is. <laughs> Are they giving English a run for its money in terms of granical weirdness? More like excessive amounts of vowels. Oh, yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's it's not to, for my brief and limited perception of Belgian, it's it's like almost rivaling Ikea in the terms of how many vowels they stuff into words. <laughs> yep. I'm not even blaming that on like the actual Swedish language. I'm blaming that specifically on Ikea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, they also steal all the names for their furniture products, apparently from Danish place names. Also not surprising. Yeah. I got that from Scandinavia in the World. Another good webcomic to huh. check out. Good to know. Good yeah. to know. Um, but yeah, so, uh, so Hergé, uh, started actually by contributing illustrations to, like, Boy Scout magazines. His, his first actual comic was literally The Adventures of Totor for, for the, for the Belgian Boy Scout. Hmm. Which, which I feel like really just kind of set his track, like, for his entire artistic career. Yep. Um, I should note that, uh, for a long, for quite a while, uh, Hergé worked for... A couple of different newspapers and publishing houses around, uh, specifically Brussels. And given the fact that he was working in those from, I think, about the 1930s through maybe the late 40s, um, they tended to skew much more conservative, and that in this context also means uh, more more fascist, uh, anti-Semitic. Yeah, they were... <sighs> They were part of the bad side of the Catholic Church. Mm. Yeah. 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 Yes, I, I acknowledge that this side does in fact exist. <laughs> but yeah, he uh thankfully, as he as he grew older, uh he did kind of he did skew his art less so towards those more typical conservative views, uh becoming more open, especially as uh he ended up picking up the habit of doing a lot more research on like where he was going to be setting the Tintin comics, uh, which really broadened his horizons. One heartwarming note I found in his Wikipedia article was that he, despite the fact that, like, he, from all accounts, was pretty overworked, he always made sure to personally answer every piece of fan mail that was delivered to him, because he didn't want to crush his, his like, the fans of his who were children's dreams. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was a nice little tidbit. Yeah, um... Fairly early on in his career, like he was kind of assigned stories by his mm -hmm. bosses. So he was 
he just did what he was told. And yeah, as he said, as he got older, he kind of gained more control over mm-hmm. what he was doing. And that's how he learned. Oh, so colonization isn't that great. <laughs> yeah. Who'd have thunk it, huh? Yeah. The more you know. <laughs> the more you know. But hey, at least someone is willing to learn. Yes, that is very true. Yes. So he did fall into some controversy after World War II because, well, Belgium got invaded and kind of got the crap kicked out of them by uh, by the yeah. Germans, yeah. as they are wont to do. Yep. And he was arrested on the 3rd of September, 1944, having been named as a collaborator in a resistance document known as the Gallery of Traitors. Yep. This would be the first of four incidences where he was arrested. Yeah. He seems to have escaped mostly okay by saying, like, you know, no, I wasn't actually that involved. And I guess enough people believed him. He closed the case on December 22nd of 1945, declaring that in regard to the particular offensive characters of the drawings published by Remy, bringing him before the war tribunal would be inappropriate and risky. So I guess there just wasn't enough evidence to say, like, whether or not he did anything bad. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Big shrug. Yeah. It's one of those you do what you have to do, and not every decision is going to be a good one. Yeah. So anyway, the character of Tintin... Yes. The character of Tintin is much brighter of a character than uh, than Hergé's actual life would lead you to believe. <laughs> yeah, and I think that was deliberate. Uh, yeah. It, Tintin, oh, it was very definitely deliberate. Yeah. Tintin is supposed to be something of an... He's basically a, a Boy Scout. Like he's, he's literally a Boy Scout. Yeah, he's literally a Boy Scout. So according to Hergé's biographer, Pierre... Asulin, uh, he noted that Tintin has a prehistory being influenced by a variety of sources that Hergé had encountered throughout his life, notably his early schooling in the midst of World War One, where he was drawing pictures in the margins of his school workbooks. Same, same, same. Yep. He later commented that these drawings depicted a brave and adventurous character using his intelligence and ingenuity against opponents, but none of these early drawings have um, unfortunately survived. Yeah. Yeah, that that's the thing. Which is like, hey, people, if you're out there listening, like, maybe don't throw away, like, your old notebooks and stuff. Like, if there's something in there that you might want to keep, scan it first and then burn yeah. it yeah. so no one ever sees it. <laughs> As someone who works for an archives, also please organize it so that we're not pulling our hairs and going, like, why the fuck did you put this here? <laughs> yep. I do not understand how the order of this goes. The provenance of this. Ah! Yeah. (laughs) This has been your your weekly mandated rant by Lindsay about preservation. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I will create a podcast called How to Help Your Archivist. (laughs) Honestly, people, I'm sure will listen to it. There's something for everyone on the internet. Yep. Yes. Ah. Anyway, so the physical appearance of Tintin seemingly came from one of Hergé's younger brothers, Paul, who huh. had a round face and a cowlick. Um, An eternal cowlick. Yes. Look, it happens sometimes. I don't know if you know that or not, Tanner, but... <laughs> I'm very familiar. As, as I've said many times, my hair disappointed me, so I had it removed. 
<laughs> That's valid. I mean, at one time, their hair was fairly curly. Huh. Yep. It's just, you know, baldness sets in at the worst times. And I did not take care of my hair at all. Yeah, I think you fried it with that one attempt to turn yourself into a ginger. I think it was more so just shampoo every day and scrub really hard, and surely that is the best way to stay clean. Haha, <laughs> I'm a genius. Oh no. Yeah. In your defense, Tanner, you were in high school. Yeah. Yes. I look good as a ginger. <laughs> <laughs> I may have blinded people across the street, but still. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of calyx, my brother has the interesting situation of having a calyx on one of his beard curls. Huh. Yeah. We don't know why he does it, but like there's this little bit of his beard that just sticks out. I think he should braid it. Just have like one cur like one one tiny yes. tiny braid sticking out of Ryan's beard. Tell him to do it. Viking just beard. embrace your Viking heritage. <laughs> like your forefathers. <laughs> <laughs> Where were we? We were Catholics, Tintin's appearance. Yes. So it was mostly based off of Urge's younger brother Paul. Um and Paul would later join the army, receiving jeers from his fellow officers when the source of Erge's visual inspiration became obvious because, yeah, you're going to get ribbing in the army. Oh, no. Oh, no. You have to develop a tough skin and give as much as you get. I'll take your word for it. I, w I went to art school, which I imagine is similar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many nicknames I got when I was in the Navy Reserves. It was great. Mostly being called Mini Mitch. <laughs> yeah. Erge uh, later stated that in his youth, I watched him a lot, entertaining me and fascinating me. It makes sense that Tintin took on his characters, gestures, and poses. He had a way of moving and a physical presence that must have inspired me without my knowing. His gestures stayed in my mind. I copied them clumsily without meaning to or even knowing I was doing it. It was him I was drawing. This is especially striking in the first drawing of Tintin in the land of the Soviets. Mm -hmm. So anyway, Urge gets work with uh, Le... 20th Cycle, the 20th century, which was that Catholic newspaper, and he would work on the Thursday supplement for young readers called uh, Le Petit Vintam, and that was basically their comic section. Yeah. Uh, Tintin's first appearance was uh, on January 20th of 1929, when Tintin in the land of the Soviets began to be serialized in Le Petit Vintam. Uh, he was given... Plus fours for trousers because Urge sometimes wore them. So, <laughs> for those unfamiliar with Tintin, Tanner, those are golf pants, basically like classic golf pants. Okay. Yeah. 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 The kind of the kind of like the puffy leg with then like the tighter cuff around the calf usually. Yeah, and you usually have socks pulled up over the calf. I yeah. like that it specifies the pant type because either it's important to the plot or enough people have questioned these pants that they had to put it in the FAQ. Probably <laughs> enough people questioned, especially in the modern day. <laughs> yeah. Like nineteen twenty nine, yeah, of course people knew what plus fours were. On top of that, that was like what young boys and teenage boys wore. Mm -hmm. these pants are lit <laughs> yeah yeah like boys didn't wear pants until like their late teens for whatever reason it was this weird you're not a man yet everyone accepts that sherlock wears a deer stalker but tintin walks in with these funky pants everyone's like whoa what are you doing <laughs> yeah. man 
What are yep. those? Yeah. And then I, the Doyle purist, am like, he only ever wore the Deerstalker once. It was mostly in a proper top hat. Still, we can accept that. All manner of headwear, perfectly acceptable. Tintin's pants need a dissertation to justify. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, Tintin in the land of the Soviets, or Tintin opaid the Soviets, was basically anti-Soviet propaganda in- Great. Yeah, in a Catholic newspaper, so yeah. and No wonder it's an American staple. <laughs> but you must also remember that the Soviets had just gone one comrade Joseph Stalin in charge. Things were there's a little thing called the Holodomor we're about. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. No, no, I'm aware. A lot of... About half of Ukraine died? No, yeah, we're aware. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not anti-communist. I'm just saying, hey, could we all please not slaughter each other? <laughs> okay. We have one thing to ask. <laughs> all we are saying is please don't mass murder each other. Yes. <laughs> And that's your weekly PSA. <laughs> I think we've done about three of those now. Yes, we have. <laughs> so anyway, the big thing about Tintin in the Land of the Soviets is that it introduces both Tintin and Snowy. They're sent to the Soviet Union to report on the policies of Joseph Stalin's Bolshevik government, which, you know, wasn't great. Um, yeah. Tintin intended to expose the regime's secret... <coughs> secrets... Secrets... Uh, Oh, God. Why the fuck is a syntax like this? Secret prompts... Because it's for free! Yeah, prompts agents from the Soviet secret police, the OGPU, which is one of the precursors to the NKVD, which was a precursor to the more famous KGB. So, yeah, he's hunted by, by them and uh, bolstered by publicity stunts. The land of the Soviets was a commercial success in Belgium and also witnessed sen- serialization in France and Switzerland. And it was followed up by Tintin in the Congo... Mm-hmm. Bad. Which is also real bad. Yeah. Uh, let's just say that Erge didn't hit his stride until a couple comics in. Yeah, we this this is part of what I like wanted to address because like also extending into the reboot that we will get to at some yeah. point. <laughs> just because like Tintin was very much so a comic of the times. Yes. The attitudes expressed are absolutely not correct. Uh, but we cannot necessarily go back and change them, uh, so we have to acknowledge that they are wrong and then move past them. Yep. Yeah. And correct correct them and in our behaviors and then move past yeah. them. It's like I always say, the different time doesn't make it okay, it just makes it less surprising that it happened. Yeah. 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 And there, there's, there are other, other kind of, well not other kind of, there are other varieties of racism that are present within Hergé's works. He was not especially fond of First Nations people. Well, I I don't know if he was. And no, I'm going to take that back. Uh, the first the people of First Nations who are depicted within his works are usually kind of you know the extremely it, the extremely inappropriate you know like like how me Satchum kind of thing, which is absolutely in no way, shape, or form right or okay. So basically, yeah. he had exactly the opinions of minority groups that you'd expect him to have. Yes. Yeah. No, I don't want to glaze over yeah. the um, problematic stuff that Tintin had, yeah. but I think it, it's pretty obvious that we're going to correct that when needed. Yes. And we can just be- put in big capital letters, colonialism bad, <laughs> Tintin good. Yes. 
Um, because the part of like the appeal for Tintin is that he's like over the comics, he's just a very a very relatable, very earnest character. He's a journalist who then gets to go off and do fighting crime-solving adventures with his dog and his best friend and a- another bunch of characters. Um there's he got to go on adventures that got published into things books that are titled like The Crab with the Golden Claws <laughs> and The Calculus Affair. <laughs> Tintin went to the moon. Tintin went to the fucking moon, which is where my entire clue came from. <laughs> um, yeah, so I would say RJ hit his stride with Tintin around the Blue Lotus. And yes, there are some racist stuff about the Chinese in there. But again, this is the 1930s. Yeah. But this is considered one of the best ones. And it addresses a lot of stuff that was going on in China at the time. Because again, it wasn't exactly that great at the time. There was... A character who was introduced in The Blue Lotus that uh, later comes up in Tintin in Tibet. And it was very sweet with their reunion and how basically that entire plot is Tintin has a vision about this friend being in distress. So he goes to Tibet and finds this friend. Mm -hmm. And also maybe a Yeti along the way. Yeah, I think there was a Yeti. Hey, Yetis are cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, fuck. But his name was Chang Chong Chen. Yup. It was Belgian guy who barely interacted with Chinese. Yep. No, not great. Anyways, Anyways the moon. <laughs> the moon. Yeah. Um. Uh, is there anything else that Tanner should know before we jump into the reboot part, Lindsay? As we said earlier and repeatedly, the actual series does get better, does get less racist. Urge mm-hmm. learned a lot from his mistakes. These stories are really worth reading because Tintin and his friends are such good characters. Mm-hmm. Tintin is, he's a Boy Scout and he wants to do good. Yeah. We probably should touch on the general, the most popular recurring characters yeah. in Tintin. Um, so obviously there's Tintin, boy reporter, boy scout, general protagonist, good kid. Yeah. Um, there is Snowy, uh, who is his dog. Snowy is a wire fox terrier. Yes, and the reason why I want a wire fox terrier. <laughs> mhm. Mhm. Uh Snowy is kind of in a weird state of being sentient, but Tintin can't always understand Snowy. Like they kind of do, but sometimes it's like Tintin understands what Snowy is saying in speech bubbles or thought bubbles, and sometimes not. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's kind of weird, but it works. Yeah. It works in the context. Yeah. And her French name is Milou, an abbreviation of Marie-Louise, which was borrowed from Hergé's first girlfriend, Marie- Marie-Louise Van Kutzem. Okay. So I don't know what that means when you name a fictional dog after your ex-girlfriend, but okay. Let's just say that he liked the name Marie-Louise. Yes. <laughs> Let's go with that. Um, his other friends include uh, Captain Archibald Haddock, uh probably the most popular for being just he's he's an extremely drunken sailor a lot of the time he Um, is a stereotype but a good stereotype he is very much so a stereotype but he's also a very a very diehard friend to tintin he's the one who said uh i believe it was what was it like 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 billions of blistering blue barnacles or something he had lots of (laughs) 
he had lots of alliterative substitute swear words. Oh, yeah. Um, Wikipedia has a list. Uh, oh, I believe it. Bashy Bazook, Visigoth, Kleptomaniac, See Gherkin, Abominable Snowman, Nitwit Scoundrel, Steamrollers, Parasites, Vegetarians, Floundering Oaths, <laughs> Carpet Sellers, Blundering Bazookas. Carpet Sellers sounds like it could mean something else. Oh, it does. I'm sure it does. It's Miserable Slugs. Ectomorphs. <laughs> Is he a fucking Ghostbuster? Logarithm. Iconoclast, Ruffians, Fancy Dress, Slave Trader, and Fuzzy Wuzzy. But again, nothing actually considered a swear word. Yes. I imagine that was probably because of the limitations on print and what he could and could not use. Yes. Okay, I'm on the same page you are. At one, po- at one point, Haddock used the word pneumothorax. <laughs> and received an angry letter from a father whose boy was a great fan of Tintin, but also had tuberculosis and experienced oh. a collapsed lung. Yikes. Whoops. Hergé wrote an apology and removed the word from the comic. Afterwards, the letter was discovered to be fake, written and planted by Hergé's friend and collaborator, Jacques-Mon Melkabiki. Wow. Oh, great going, wow. Jacques. Still, it's, it's good to know that Hergé immediately backtracked. Yeah. Yeah. No yeah. fake apologies here. Yes. <laughs> it's like, ooh, I did something wrong. And then, wait a minute, Jacques? The fuck? Why couldn't Hirsch be around to teach YouTubers and other social media influencers how to properly, you know, just exist? Yeah. Because there are dreams that are not meant to be. <laughs> yep. Instead, we got J.K. Rowling. We don't need to talk about her. J.K. Rowling's not a YouTuber, though. Thank goodness. She is on Twitter, though. Hmm. Oh, please. Anyways, there's a man named Professor Calculus, and I almost thought for sure that was a Justice League villain. (laughs) Yes, uh, Professor Cuthbert Calculus. He's very much so, like, the absent-minded professor. I don't think his field of study is ever specified, but he's just a lot of, like, general science and dabbling. There was a part of one of the comics where Tintin and Captain Haddock had to chase him around Captain Haddock's estate because Professor Calculus was trying to douse. Yep. <laughs> and he was just following his pendulum around everywhere, like, through fight scenes. <laughs> yeah, I think he's supposed to be, like, generally a physicist. Okay. Um, according to canon, he holds three PhDs in nuclear and theoretical physics and planetary astronomy. He is also huh. experienced in engineering archaeology biology and chemistry yes one of those how do you have time for all of that but you know what fictional scientists tony stark (laughs) learned about astro thermonuclear physics in a night he went he went to the tommy oliver school of doctorates okay (laughs) (laughs) um the other big uh tintin players are thompson and thompson or Uh, duran and duran yes um awesome they're found uh, <laughs> and they're hungry like the wolf? Um, maybe not hungry like the wolf, but they are, in fact, lost and found a lot because they are two detectives who work together a lot. Um, one of them is, I think one of them is American, one of them is English. I can't remember which one for the life of you. And the narrative, I don't think, cares much because they're both just, they, they have, I'm just going to put it this way, they have occasional moments of competency. Yeah. And then the rest of their time, they're just... They're there for comedic relief yeah. and to show and to show how good Tintin is, yes. but not in 
But not in, like, a necessarily demeaning way. It's kind of, like, Three Stooges level of buffoonery. Yeah. Um, according to Wikipedia, the detectives were in part based off of Hergé's father, Alexi, and his uncle, Leon. Identical twins who huh. often took walks together wearing matching bowler hats while carrying matching walking sticks. <laughs> Another inspiration was a picture of two mustachioed uh, bowler-hatted, formerly dressed detectives who were featured on the cover of uh, of the Le Mureur edition of uh, March 2nd, 1919. They were shown escorting a criminal when one detective was handcuffed to the man while the other was holding the other's umbrella. Yep. They would later on make appearances in the Asterix book, Asterix in Belgium. Uh, Asterix okay. is another really, really popular uh, Franco-Belgian comic series. Question, uh, uh, if you, Asterix uh, and Miss Mitchell, yeah. the class has a question. Yes, Tanner. Is Asterix not sent during the reign of, like, the Roman Empire? It's supposed to be around the Roman Empire. There's supposed to be Gauls. So, did Thompson and Thompson time travel? Do you think comics care about that? <laughs> did they TARDIS? I guess. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Like, you gotta make a crossover somehow. Apparently. Okay, um, my, I'm, I'm gonna pitch you the medium, and then I'm gonna, and I'm gonna tell you what paths I took to get there. Oh boy. Okay. Okay, so the medium for this is an open world video game. Okay. The recipe for which, uh, I compiled together Breath of the Wild for the elements of art direction, exploration, and the puzzle-solving elements. Yes, there is a lot of puzzle-solving. With flavors from Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego, <laughs> uh, for the sake of the interrogation, globe-trotting, and crime-solving, um, Assassin's Creed, <laughs> for the sake of combat, parkour, investigation, and the maybe science, maybe magic elements. Yeah. And also... The Wallace and Gromit video game for the Nintendo GameCube, <laughs> which which my brother and I owned and played growing up because we care about Wallace and Gromit a lot. Yes. But it had it had the same kind of feel. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say I have never played this game, but those are definitely the vibes that seem to mesh with this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so like so combine all those together and you've got what I would like the Tintin video game to be. Uh I do have a rough plot kind of figured out which is that Tintin is asked to like journalistically look into or whatever uh the theft of a group of significant artifacts from museums around the world uh and it turns out that all of these artifacts are being stolen by an organization that is looking to remake the world in their own image via causing an apocalypse oh oh that took a turn through, through whatever reason. I had to get some... Usually the Tintin adventures are very much so tied to one particular location. Yeah. And I was trying to get something that would be tied in, like, across the world. Yeah, a bit more globe trotting. trotting. Yeah. Something Yeah, something to allow for the globe trotting. I mean, the, yeah. the two other fun facts I know about Tintan... Of Tintan... Tin, <laughs> Tim Tam, you know. <laughs> yes, Tim Tam. Yeah. Everybody's favorite Australian cookie. <laughs> Uh-huh. The two other fun facts I know about Tintin, uh, one is that the movie that you mentioned earlier is a lot more globetrotty than the usual fare. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And two is that uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade is based on a recycled Tintin movie script that Steven Spielberg had. Nice! Yeah, uh, Steven Spielberg is a pretty big fan of Tintin. Yeah. 
like, but before we move on to, like, other, like, before we get back to the plot, like, I would like to take this moment to appreciate the fact that there is a scene in the Tintin movie, which is mostly based on Tintin and the Secret of the Unicorn, where they have to, like, assemble, assemble, like, ships in a bottle to uncover clues to a lost treasure. But they have, there's this one really incredible scene, it's, like, within the first third of the movie, where it's just this one long extended like one yeah. one shot as they like run down a mountainside in a city which is collapsing around them <laughs> yes because of the chaos that they are visiting upon the city and it is it is phenomenal if you cannot watch this whole movie or you have no interest please just at least watch that scene like there's just there's no cuts anywhere it's so good it's so good yeah um that movie was actually a combination of three Tintin plots. <laughs> yeah. Um, Tintin and uh, The Crab with the Golden Claws, uh, The Secret of the Unicorn, and Red Rackham's Treasure. Mm-hmm. Which all makes sense. Hence why yeah. there was a lot more globetrotting than previous. Anyway. Excuse me. The plot. Of- yes. Um, the, but because... Like, these artifacts are all around the world, and they are all tied into different cultures. Uh, Tintin's mission is to, you know, figure out who is who is doing all of these things and to stop them. But along the way, uh, he also gets to return the objects to uh, their to their native like owners. Yeah. But and by native, I mean the pe- like the people from people from the culture that first created the rightful those owners. The rightful yes, the rightful owners. owners. And in this context, there would be, like, a guest party member who would join you in each location, and then they would get to, like, mystically, scientifically harness the objects to help you in the fight against the bad guys. Nice. But it would be it would be very important to note that it would be, the like, the rightful owners of the artifact who are using it, and not Tintin, the white Belgian. Yes. Yeah. Um, Tintin has other skills that he can use. Yes, I'm going to get to that. Yeah. In a and also, he can We're have his own gonna... special Belgian artifact. Sure. From the Franks, or from the Celtic tribe that Belgian got its name from. Huh. Yeah. They were named after the Bell guy. Give him the Spear of Luch. The Romans were kind of. They weren't exactly consistent with what they called people, especially the Germans and the Gauls and the Celts. But we're also yeah. t- talking about ancient languages. And stuff changes over time. Oh, law does it. <laughs> yeah. Try reading Middle English. <laughs> I'm good, thanks. <laughs> yeah. That's your passion, not mine. I get to discover the joys of a vowel shift. My, my passions do not include sadomasochism by way of linguistic history. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I got your Twitter bio, Lindsay. Yay. <laughs> So anyway, I envision Tintin is kind of playing more like, yeah, you mentioned Assassin's Creed, maybe a bit like Ezio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, My concept was that there would be kind of like three different like functions of the game. Like there would be, there would be stages that would be like, like sleuthing. Yeah. That would be more tied to the puzzle or crime solving things. This would include an like an interrogation option where you could like, you know, be talking to people and investigate the mystery. Uh, you would it, you would be doing more of like the stealth elements, sneaking around the enemy's hideouts, and then like actually solving you know like the puzzles like you would get in Breath of the Wild, but on a much smaller scale. Yeah. Um, 
and for those parts, you would be mainly, like, playing as Tintin. Yeah. But you would also have the options to switch between different characters. Like, so then there also would be combat stages. Or, yeah. which in which something that would be really fun, like, sea combat stages. Like, I think was in one of the <laughs> Assassin's Creed. Yeah. Because Captain Haddock is a sailor and yeah. owns a ship. Yeah. So... It would be really fun to do kind of, like, naval combat scenes, but then also have the normal, like, combat brawl elements mm-hmm. that you would get when playing, well, when maining as Captain Haddock. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, the last kind of stage would be the combination stages, where it would be, like, you, where the where there would be both the, like, the stealth elements and the combat elements, which would probably be, like, if there were conventional boss battles, it would be that kind of a thing where you could be playing as Tintin and then running around to disarm traps in a boss room and then have someone and either have, like, an AI or another player, because this would be a fun co-op game, Yeah. Um, playing as Captain Haddock to, you know, actually, like, shoot and, like, punch the bad guy in the jaw. Yeah. <laughs> I I just thought of a probably not a full stage, but definitely a gameplay element where you could switch control to Snowy, and then like yeah, you can yeah. tr- either track things by scent, or you can like go into places that if Tintin Tin went in, he'd be noticed. But they're like, oh, yeah. it's just a dog. The dog can't speak English, but the dog can speak English. <laughs> this dog is multilingual. Yeah, and Snowy can also like squeeze into places that Tintin couldn't get into. Yeah, like just yeah, size exactly. wise. Oh yeah. Oh, Get yeah. into all those secret areas. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. as for combat, like, I imagine that uh, the different characters would play differently. So, like, Tintin, you get, like, a bit more, I would say, finesse. Like, there's yeah. a bit more, like, you have to pay attention to precision, I'd guess. Whereas Haddock yeah. is more like grab bottle smash overhead. <laughs> no, no, no. Like, for context here, I'm imagining, like... Tintin plays as like like a Lara Croft kind of character. Yeah. Like there's there are some like options for physical brawling, but you're probably much better off doing like ranged combat yes. or using some kind of a tool whereas Captain Haddock would be like 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 a Super Smash Bros character. <laughs> you're here you're here to button mash. Yeah. <laughs> and then Thompson and Thompson is the perfect co-op team. Yeah, yeah, like that would be that would be a fun co-op thing. Like I imagine the other characters from Tintin would have various like supplemental roles like the the Thompsons could be along to help you in a stage by like providing assistance on the uh like on the interrogation checks. Yeah. Or by being an extra body to help out in the brawl stages. Mm-hmm. Um I had Professor Calculus set aside to be essentially kind of like the like the cue of this situation. Yes. You know, residing at pretty much probably staying back at the headquarters of Marlin Spike, um, which is Captain Haddock's ancestral estate. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he'd be there making, you know, like the gadgets and things that Tintin and Captain Haddock would use um, over the course of everything. And I think it'd be really fun if over the course of the game you could, you know, like have the collectible items. Yeah. Which then you could give to Professor C- Calculus who could then use them to build his rocket ship and take you to the bonus stage on the yes. 
which like would just be up there for you know like hey there's some fun puzzles up here to solve there's some fun upgrades like you can see a lovingly rendered earth if you turn around but no like real combat stages on the moon i'm not going to make you fight moon aliens in tintin that's the sequel <laughs> <laughs> yeah really um another thing yeah. i was thinking is that like since you said all these artifacts are stolen from museums and there could be another part of the collectathon where you can get uh recreations of the artifacts like so it's not the actual artifact it's just like either just an image or a replica of them that you can take back to the museum and then when you get it back in the museum like whatever info they have on it gets updated to something that's like correct okay okay and museums do make replicas uh, mostly for objects that are on the more delicate side of stuff or stuff that yeah. they got to repair but they should really do that for everything that they don't have an actual claim to. They should. Which is part of why I was like, no, like, there needs to be, a, like, a guest party member. Like, um, like, Tintin's friend from, from Tibet. Can we change their first Nepal. name, please? Yes. Uh, yes. Um, for life me, though, I am not good at coming up with Asian names. Um. It doesn't necessarily even have to be an Asian name. Like, they can just go by an English name when they're with Tintin. I was gonna say, I was just gonna go with, like, Lin. Lin is a pretty neutral name, all That works, considered. too, yeah. <laughs> okay, like, so, for example, Tintin's friend Lin, um, from the, from, like, the, from, like, the Nepalese area of, uh, of, like, of Asia, could be there to help gather, maybe, like, the first, like, maybe, like, Sir Edmund Hillary brought back a rock from from uh, Kathmandu, and now it must be returned. <laughs> and then, like, returning it, like, lets Lin, I don't know, like, channel, like, mountain strength, or maybe summon a yeti to help you in combat. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, that'd be real fun. Yeah. No, I feel like, I feel like the rock would let Lin channel the yeti strength, and then, like, when you get to the boss battle, all of a sudden the yeti shows up to start helping you. Actually, no, the first stage is you have to fight the yeti, because he th he, you're kind of, like, encroaching on their territory. And then once okay, it realizes okay. that you're just trying to return the rock, then it'll help you in the b final boss battle. Yeah, that would be really fun. That's actually another part that kind of ties into something else that I had planned, which was, like, we don't necessarily have to stick to actual real-world cultures. Like, we definitely should, like, not not make things up or tell falsehoods about existing cultures and things, but we don't have to necessarily specifically go to we don't specifically have to go to san francisco because like in the books they make up a whole lot of countries there's like there's a whole country called nuevo rico and san teodoros which are just two like central and south american countries so hmm. we can just completely make things up to pull in elements as long as the representation is correct yeah like definitely get the proper consultation yeah. on that kind of oh, stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think I had actually how long ago did I make this note in my phone? Oh wait, it doesn't <laughs> tell me that. It just tells me when I last edited it, which was which was five days ago. Um this is this is a game that I would absolutely love to play. I feel like it could be put onto any platform. Like I don't I don't know if there's a platform that is best for this kind of a game or what could necessarily handle it. But it doesn't have to be on a system, I think. It doesn't have to be an exclusive. This could easily be uh, all all of them. Yeah, but like I, I have a lot of I have a lot of like love for this game that we have made up because it's one where like it has a lot of potential to be like a co-op game or single player. Like 
you get to, it'd be gorgeous. You could go all over the world and do fun things. I can definitely picture it in my head. It's like, I can't even say that it's like a particular genre. It's just, it's an adventure game. Yeah. It's not survival like Horizon Zero Dawn. It's not like like a crime murder game like the Assassin's Creed series. It's not like a puzzle game like Tetris or something, such as Tetris is a puzzle game, I guess. I don't know why my brain went there, but... You mentioned Horizon Zero Dawn, and we could definitely have Tintin hide and bushes that are conveniently the same color as his hair. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's the whistling bush, everyone's favorite whistling bush. Investigate the whistling bush, but only go on your own, and don't question the fact that none of your friends have returned from the whistling bush. I do not understand this reference. <laughs> um, in Horizon Zero Dawn, the main character Aloy, like, you explicitly only stealth yourself when you're in these bright red bushes because she has bright red hair. Okay, okay. And then you can press a button to whistle, and so the nearest machine will, like, slowly trot over to you, and, like, be confused, or not necessarily the machine, like, it can be a baddie, whoever, yeah. and slowly trot towards you, and then you can do a stealth attack where you, like, you get them and you kill them, and no one notices. <laughs> and huh. so I took out an entire fortress of human enemies just standing in one or two separate bushes, and I just go, Shh. I'm like, what's that? And I slowly walk over, and then they, like, get close enough, I stealth kill them, wait for another one person to come close enough. <laughs> okay. I can't really, I can't really like condemn you for that because I've done the exact same thing many times in Breath of the Wild. <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta do. I like how we're comparing Tintin to like th these games where he would not do things that he would do in this game. Yeah, like that for me, that is something that is like very, like, very important. That I don't know if there ever was really any like serious death in the Tintin canon. Um, Simply because I imagine it, it it was a comic for kids. They weren't going to go around, you know, pulling a Master Chief and just shooting everyone. Um, this is the dark and edgy Tintin oh God, reboot. No, 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 do not speak that into the <laughs> no. world. Um, but Some producer will hear that. But yeah, it's. I think it's because that kind of open world game like Horizon Zero Dawn and Breath of the Wild, which I started all of this with, is... It's it's that kind of it's that sandbox feeling that you that I feel would be really helpful to Tintin instead of you know like like this could very easily be like a side scroller like oh and now you're in the stage where you're in where you're in a pirate ship now you're in the stage where you're at the pyramids but it's so much more fun if you get to travel there and like pick where you go mm hmm yeah and it fits with just as a general feel and aesthetic yeah. yeah what would you guys add to this <laughs> definitely go for a more stylistic look to the video game oh yeah definitely yeah there was actually a specific word for Tintin's style it was really popular oh, in France uh, in Belgium Lean Claire yeah ha I pronounced something French podcast's <laughs> over Christina well you're the French. art major <laughs> Actually, you're the art major. I am the history major. Um, but yeah, it's like the particular art style is one that is like it just has very clean line work in general. And also, Hergé was just really phenomenal with like architectural rendering. Which, yes, which is which is a weird kind of contrast, like visually between the very much so cartoonish or the very much more so stylized 
humans and dogs. Yeah, the very simplified look of his yes. people and then, versus, and then just, like, like, a really realistic fucking train that they get onto. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, over the years, he updated the backgrounds for his drawings. So, like, um, it was the one set in Scotland. Um, the Black Island. So... That one was first published in 1937, and then he updated it in 34 and 66. Okay, okay. Wait, no, not 34. That's backwards. 43 (laughs) and 66. 43 was to add color, and then in 66, he updated, like, um, so the train in the original version was a steam train, Mm -hmm. like your classic steam train. In the 66 version, it was a modern uh, diesel train. Okay, interesting. That's part of it, too, because, like, Tintin is kind of an anachronistic mishmash. Like, in, like, I I imagine it's all kind of set in the same kind of time frame. But, like, Tintin goes to the moon, and then in another adventure, he also travels to America, where he, uh, where he has gunfights with First Nations people. Yeah. Uh, and so we don't have to we also don't have to stick to a particular time frame uh with this. It can be whatever. And actually I just got a really great idea for like the visual appeal. And like Ooh. this is going to this is going to particularly date when this episode comes out, but <laughs> you know how there's been that trend going around on Twitter recently of people um making 3D models of like 2D li- like art that has okay. like yes. the, like a specific line work. Yes, I have. Yeah. Like that would be a really cool look for this. Oh yeah. Because yeah. then you could still incorporate like 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 the Lean Claire look of Tintin while yeah. still keeping the 3D models, if that yes. makes sense. Yeah, definitely something on the more cell shaded side. Oh god, yes. Yeah, no, this yeah. this would not be the Assassin's Creed gritty look to Trying it. Trying to be hyper real. Yeah, no. Like, this is stylized, and stylization is good, video game artists. Yeah, stylization is good when it is done well and passionately. Yes. Uh, sticking to aesthetics, we should probably keep Tintin in his classic outfit of the blue sweater and the beige or orangey-brown plus fours, because apparently when Urge drew him in bell-bottoms in the late 60s, there was uh, much, much outcry for the fans. I I believe that. Yeah. Well, that should be one of the bonus outfits. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, like, there definitely has to be separate bonus outfits and everything, because whenever Tintin would go on an adventure, like, a lot of the times he was in his traditional, you know, like, blue sweater, plus fours, trench coat kind of look. Yeah. But, like, there were also times when he... I think when he went to America, like, he was, for a while, he was actually in, you know, like, Stetson, kerchief, like, like, yeah, chaps and everything. Yeah, he had for a bit. Uh, Cigars of the Pharaohs, he had a yellow polo shirt. So I'm actually all in favor of changing outfits, as needed. Yeah, and I think he also, like, would steal the odd outfit to sneak around, so... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's lots of, you know, knock out the guards and then you take their outfits kind of a thing. (laughs) Yeah. Another fun thing about Tintin is that he was constantly getting knocked on the head. Yeah. There's (laughs) a lot of concussions. Yeah. Yeah, I think there was this one joke that Tintin stayed forever youthful because of the damage to his pituitary gland. 
is it like like scientific question isn't the pituitary gland like way far in your brain though i think so okay oh i just realized something i forgot to mention one of the best minor characters in tintin oh bianca castafore oh yeah (laughs) now bianca is more she doesn't really have a whole lot of points where she is important to the plot but she is a fun character yeah she she is an opera singer uh she's known as the milanese nightingale and (laughs) she just shows up all the time and she's apparently an extremely bad opera singer that everyone is just politely determined to say that she's good (laughs) and it's like every single adventure she shows up somewhere (laughs) <laughs> like she's if if Tintin and Captain Haddock are on a are on a sleeper train, she's one of the passengers. If if they have to meet um if they have to meet an expatriate general, she's the singer performing at the concert they're attending. <laughs> <laughs> like in this video game, she needs to appear at least once per level. Yeah. Never like to give any like super relevant information, but just to, just to be there and With so that you no can know explanation. that she's there. Yeah. Yes, like you... and she only ever sings one song. It's yes. the Jules song. Yes, uh, Le De Bijou from Faust. Um, actually, there's several Faust operas, so I should say uh, the Faust by uh, Jules Barbier and Michel Carré for mm-hmm. Faust et Marguerite which yep. was loosely based off of Johann Wolfgang von Goethe's Faust Part 1. But yeah, like, it'd be really fun to be wandering around a stage and then you just hear some off-key warbling from somewhere in the stage in the background. <laughs> maybe they left a radio on, maybe she's imprisoned in a jail cell nearby or something. <laughs> She'll ask you what you think of her singing, and you'll, like, get the options, like, oh, it's wonderful, it's not that good. And if you try and select the it's not that good, Tintin will just say to himself, Oh, I can't tell her that. I should be nicer. And then it'll be one of those things where no matter how many times you try and tell her she's not good, Tintin just keeps saying, Oh, no, I shouldn't tell her that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, she's definitely on the moon. She could definitely be heard on the moon. Yes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Bianca Castafori, what a diva. Mm-hmm. I was paging through the Wikipedia article, and... um. Oh, a fun fact. She was made specifically because opera bored Hergé. <laughs> he specifically <laughs> made her because he hated opera. <laughs> Which is all the more reason to include her in this video game. Yep. <laughs> right what you know. So, on that note, uh, is there anything else we can think of for this game? Um, do you guys have any thoughts on voice actors? I don't especially. <laughs> Aside from just... I feel I would I would prefer to oh you know who'd be really fun to cast as Captain Haddock who Tony Anselmo I don't know this man he is the voice of Donald Duck okay then (laughs) just essentially playing the same character but human and intelligible yeah (laughs) um but aside from that, I'm like, no, just ca- cast unknowns. Let unknowns get some good voice experience in. Well, it'd be a video game, so there's probably going to be, like, the usual video game voice actors. Yeah, but doesn't mean we can't get some new people in there. It doesn't have to be just the Critical Role people all the time. No, I know. I'm looking at... Yeah. 
The voice of Spider-Man PS4 was Yuri Lowenthal. He's a standard. That would be a good Tintin voice, I imagine. Yeah, like, if you had to get standards, I would also say... But Gary Oldman would be a good haddock. But does he okay. video games? I don't know if he does voice acting. He's done video games. Huh. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, he was uh, he was one of the characters in Call of Duty. He played the very famous Victor Reznov and scientist Daniel Clark in the Call of Duty games. He also provided the narration of Sergeant Jack Barnes in the Spearhead expansion of Medal of Honor Allied Assault. He was also in huh. Fire Guardians, Ignatius, the and The Legend of Spyro. Oh. Huh. And Lego Dimensions. Interesting. There's also Roger Craig Smith, who's the usual voice for Sonic. Or one okay. of the usual voices for Sonic. Huh. Um, also, he voiced Batman a few times, so that's <laughs> that's yeah. the duality of man right there. Yup. <laughs> hey, I'm Sonic. I am the knight. <laughs> <laughs> You're too slow, Joker. <laughs> Gotta go fast. <laughs> oh, another good haddock? Mark Hamill. Yes, there it is. That'd be fun, too. Yeah. That man is very talented. I mean, we all knew that. Yeah. He might have been extremely self-absorbed in his youth, but he's very talented. <laughs> so self-absorbed, he totally missed that two of his cast members were having a torrid affair right in front of him. <laughs> uh, anyways, I think that's a good note uh, to wrap yeah, this we've, up. We've literally, like, shot the moon on this one, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> So, I think on that note, it's a good time to skip over to a friendship promo. Wikipedia says, Sumo is a form of competitive full-contact wrestling, where a wrestler, Rikishi, attempts to force his opponent out of a circular ring, Dokyo, or into touching the ground with anything other than the soles of his feet. At Basho Intel, we guide you through the bi-monthly tournaments, Basho, talk about our favorites, and complain about the judges. Shimpan. Almost like a real sports podcast. But we also talk about how cute Kawaii the athletes are. Join me, Frankie. And me, Eric. On Basho and Tell. Find us at audioentropy.com. Sumo is great. They even made an anime about it. And remember, keep, keep your, your feet, feet on, on the, the ground. ground. So, Christina, where can you be found on the internet? I can be found on Twitter at SeaWizArt, which is my main social media platform, uh, as well as on Instagram at ChristinaWoodsArt if you're an Instagram person. I don't post on there an awful lot, mostly because I forget, <laughs> um, but I'm trying to be more active. Um, uh, you also can hear me uh, on two, on my two podcasts. Uh, which are the Home for Weirdo Seats, where both Tanner and Lindsay have been on, uh, where we talk about original characters, the good, the bad, and the self-inserts. Uh, also on Twitter, at WaywardOCPod. Uh, and I have another podcast with our friend Emma, which is Faithful, where we talk about faith in different forms of media. Uh, depending on when this episode comes out, our most recent episode is almost certainly the one where we talked about Hocus Pocus. Um, <laughs> 
which was a really fun episode. Maybe not as insightful as I had thought it would be, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, other topics have included Power Rangers and VeggieTales and the podcast Mega. So we, we kind of run the gamut over there, but it's a lot of fun. It is. I can, I can vouch for them both. Yeah, same here. Lindsay, how about you? I can be found on Twitter at lindsaym476, and you can get to all my other social media bullshits from there. Tanner, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at SparkyUpstart and on Instagram at SparkyYoungUpstart. And you can also find this very podcast on Twitter at N-I-I-R-Y-F-Pod. Those are the letters for Not If I Reboot You First, and they're pronounced, If today's the 15th, then tomorrow's the 16th! And you can get to this very podcast on Instagram at not if I reboot you first. That's all one word. And the hashtag is N-I-I-R-Y-F and it is pronounced antediluvian bulldozer. <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> you can also email us at not if I reboot you first at gmail.com or you can send us your comments, critiques, criticisms, or your favorite names for DuPont and DuPont. You could even ask to be a guest, but if you do, make sure you just send us a hint instead of the entire idea, because as we found out this time around, we really like being surprised. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, if you'd like to support us more directly, we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash notifireabootyoufirst, where you can get a bevy of bonuses by supporting us financially, including a weekly shout-out for all of our patrons, including Charlie. Thanks, Charlie. And Cassidy. Thanks, Cassidy! Woo! You can also rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice, and if you can't find us on your podcatcher of choice, then contact me and I'll try and get us in there. Last but not least, our cover art, as always, is by Alex, a.k.a. Pachu, and her work can be found on ptchew.com. And our theme music is done by our friend Sean Clake, and you can contact us to find out how to contact him if you'd like a music of his own for your own. Uh, I don't have a hint for next week, because, listen, okay, I don't know, first off, I don't know how to do a hint for next week. Also, it's my fault, because I'm the one who put this in the People's Choice poll and have no idea how to properly reboot it. The dark specter of what I'm going to do for next week's topic has been a shadow over me for the past several weeks to the point <laughs> that I was researching ahead instead of thinking of ways to properly deal with this. <laughs> it's a shadow over your head, just like uh, Ryan is a shadow over Lindsay's shoulder right now. <laughs> 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 anyway, Tanner, what's... I wish I could have screenshotted that. So I'm guessing it's some sort of dark specter of a uh, cult that took over a favorite childhood website. Uh, actually, you're you're right. Uh, next week we'll be discussing the intersection of Tamagotchis and late stage capitalism. <laughs> so, anyways, thank you for Christina for joining us this week. Thank you for having me on the show. I always enjoy getting to podcast with you two. <laughs> the feeling is mutual. You're very welcome. <laughs> um, and I'll deal with my grim future that I set out for myself next week, but not if we reboot you first. Bye. <laughs> I actually, I actually can't sing y'all's theme song, but I know it. It's in my head. Oh, that's nice. <laughs>
Like, I do want to get into opera, but I know that the fans are super pretentious, and I'm like, hmm. Mm-hmm. You know it's a little bit more accessible kind of opera? <laughs> the phantom of the opera is there. Inside <laughs> your mind. <laughs> I hit most of those notes. <laughs> Take a look at that snout. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> 